Welcome to Happy Times and Places. It's me, Toby Haydock, jumping into as many modes of transport as possible in order to enjoy a Doctor Who episode chosen by a friend of mine who then nominates their favourite thing about it. I have to see if I can guess what that is. Hi there. Uh, this is Annie Wallace here. I play uh, Sally Sinclair on Channel 4's Hollyoaks. So... When Toby asked me which story would I like to talk about, I had a big think, and I have chosen Planet of the Spiders. Well, it's dark. I'm not wearing sunglasses. I've got a full tank of petrol, and I've got a car, uh, another car, a car that flies, uh, a little helicopter thing, hovercraft boat, uh, and a long journey to see if I can enjoy a story I've hitherto had a bit of a downer on. Like many a Doctor Who uh, that I discovered after reading the Target novel. You know, there was a big gulf between my expectations and, you know, the delivery. Uh, And I've rehabilitated a a good number of stories, I think, in my my mind. and and some I you know I thought were okay like the Sea Devils that the last time I watched it I absolutely adored, but there are also stories that I I thought were were really quite poor, uh, and I would say this and and Planet of the Daleks, although I jo- I actually enjoyed Planet of the Daleks when we did it through running through corridors that book I wrote with Rob Shearman when we came at it within the era and watched it in blocks, um, but I think because of the weight of expectation of what Planet of the Spiders has to do and because of certain things that happen as the story goes on and the production, shall we say, phrase around the edges, uh, it's it's a story I've, I've yeah, I've, I will have to learn to love as, as we do this, if, if I can do it. Uh, and I have my lovely dog friend Bernard by my side. Maybe he will, he will give me a new perspective. Um, but let's try it. Annie Wallace is along for the ride, star of Hollyoaks, wonderful actress, lovely person, uh, and uh, I'm really grateful that uh, Annie has uh, lent her name, kudos, and time to this project, and uh, I couldn't think of anyone better to help me learn to love uh, a story that I know people who watched at the time are very fond of, but I do not have that because I'm much younger than those people. So, <laughs> let's see what happens in episode two of Planet of the Spiders in three, two, one. Uh, I, yes, I do like the opening bit of the title sequence, which isn't isn't then replicated in the Tom Baker version. Um, and I, yes... Pertwee I really loved as a kid when they re- repeated, you know, the couple for the five faces of Doctor Who, the, the three Doctors and Carnival of Monsters. You know, he was one of the old Doctors, the classic, the four classic, the you know, the, the, the unimpeachables. Uh, and I, you know, when I when I discovered the era, I think it's because it was quite recent history. So the things that we had cast aside, like some of the haircuts and the flared trousers, seemed slightly more embarrassing than perhaps the 60s stuff which had dated in a different way because it was slightly further away so it wasn't you know it it, it wasn't nagging uh, 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 you know snapping at our shoulders going you know what you you lot recently look like (laughs) and you know I was I was scared of flared trousers and 
bad flared trousers and bad CSO and uh, and and sort of haircuts like Mike Yates's were were not things that I liked the idea of my school friends seeing and and much of my identification of of Doctor Who was 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 about whether I could show it to my school friends without being embarrassed because uh, I, I suppose one conducts one's life worrying about what other people think and you know the the buddhism in this story is a is a is a good riposte to that so i'm looking forward to uh, embracing that stuff about clarity of mind and not worrying about what's happening outside and that's a great image isn't it the spider on the back it's no it's no accident that they that's a beautiful shot actually in the lighting in this cellar is great um but the idea of the spider on the back as a physical presence and as a metaphorical representation of you know menace and dark thoughts and all of that is 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 rather lovely i think i think the spider on the back is a is a great thing um and that was a lovely shot of Lupton. I, I, I don't really think of barry letts as being in the in the in the in the top tier of doctor who directors uh, i think he is a bit too wedded to, to cso um uh and roland warren the costume designer does like purples and blues which is appropriate seeing as for, for this story because uh because Metabilis has a has a lot of blue, but I wonder then. Oh, and that's a, this is a different spider, the one that uh, that uh, Professor Clegg saw in his mind, isn't it? It's got a sort of slightly transparent, uh, bulbous, taily bit. Um, was it because because wasn't the, the the thing was that they they built a spider that was deemed to be too convincing, and it was sort of sent back. And Bernard Wilkie, the head of visual effects, also the visual effects designer of this, was kind of told, "Yeah, you've done too good a job." But I remember. I remember there being an article in Doctor Who magazine, which was Matt Irvin with Boris the Spider, and Boris the Spider was a was a was a thing. So that this was one of the stories where the visual effects themselves had their own sort of little sub story, and uh, and it was a, it was a way into some of the behind the scenes chaps. And uh, I remember that article in Doctor Who magazine of, of of Matt Irvin, who's always been a great. Uh, the, he's the sort of spokesperson for the visual effects department of the BBC. He would be on Swap Shop and, and kids television and things like that. He actually rang me at my home. Uh, once when I'd written a letter to the BBC Visual Effects Department. I'm sure that's a story I can tell on another occasion when it's actually a, a story that Matt has a credit on, maybe. Um, uh, unless I run out of things to say during this, but I'm going to try my hardest not to. Um, although this is, yes, but of course this is the famous episode that is a, is, a, is a series of car chases where we have to, you know, we'll have to talk about how important, you know, plot is. Uh, again, I think if, if television is there to entertain uh, and, and to keep us interested, it doesn't only have to do that with plot, which is why I don't mind sort of showy direction uh, or, you know, long special effects sequences if they catch the eye, if they, if they divert us. That's what entertain, entertainment is. And that, that's why television, you know, it's a visual medium. Um, if there's plenty going on on screen, it doesn't. We don't necessarily have to be thinking about it and joining the dots of plot development or or, or character development or, or thematic rigor. You can just go, oh look, it's a mini moke. Uh, I think that's what the helicopter thing is called. Um, uh, he's got an excellent face, hasn't he, John Durth? He's got a very odd gait. Um, uh, he he he's got quite a sort of shambling. I I imagine he's he's racked by kind of uh, illness. I I know 
that he he you know he he had a he he had a drink problem um and uh, i know john kane speaks very kindly of barry letts by going you know here's a guy with a reputation in the business for being a for being a, a drinker and and that means that you know people would sometimes be reluctant to to employ him and it's a fickle business because some people uh who, who, who are you know for for who for, for for whatever reason on whom the fates have uh, uh, are shining uh are forgiven all sorts of drunken exploits because they're geniuses uh and then uh, but if 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 you if you're not lucky enough to have been decided upon as a as a genius or or, or whatever um you know you're a bit of a sad you're a bit of a sadder and probably best avoided um and you and and, and i got the impression that maybe there was a bit of that with with John John Dearth and Barry Letts because he was a kind man went well no I'll give him I'll put him front and center and give him a give him a shot and he's got a, he's got an excellent voice he's brilliant as boss in the green death he was the iago to the othello of donald wolfitt so he'd got you know good stage careers but it, a, 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 a similar looking to james mason and i know barry letts said once that dearth dearth was quite bitter about that and that's that's no way to be a, as an actor because you just go mad then as a performer. Uh, let's break off from that because I love Sergeant Benton. I love the fact that Sergeant Benton makes the second best cup of coffee to Mrs. Samuel Pepys. And I, I love that, that Pertwee is an enjoyer of things like cups of coffee and cheese and wine and all of that. And I love Benton. I, it's just sad that this is Benton's last Pertwee episode, really. He really does deserve to come back in in episode six but he gets a nice little shot in this he gets to have a little bit of jokey stuff uh because he doesn't realize that the brigadier is there and all of that uh and all the bits that benton does well which are you know relaxing when he doesn't think authority is round and having a bit of fun and then being a bit wounded and slightly apologetic when he discovers that actually authority is there and he's supposed to be being a soldier um but also being the loyal factotum he's he is and i'm my dog is here sitting next to me benton is 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 doc the i think closer than canine even that doctor who gets to a dog because he's loyal and he's faithful and he's really really happy if he's done a good job uh and he'll you know put in set put if the push comes to shove he'll put himself in harm's way for you uh it's a pretty good i mean sorry tommy but it's a pretty gruesome medallion but uh, <laughs> uh but um there you go. I don't know. I don't know anything about fashion. My my son now has a chain around his neck there, so maybe they're coming back in. Fashion is cyclical, isn't it? Um, I remember John Levine in an interview with Doctor Who magazine saying that he'd suggested to John Kane to add the second go to bed as he walks away, uh, and it is a nice little touch. Um, and and that, that that John Levine was quite pleased because John Kane was a hugely respected um, real Shakespearean company actor who'd, who'd been involved in probably the most important Shakespeare production of the century which is uh, Peter Brook's production of A Midsummer Night's Dream in which he played Puck which is you know uh, as, as prize apart as you can get and it was the Midsummer Night's Dream that was all done on you know on on uh, on trampolines and acrobatics you know and all that sort of thing and it was it was it was a, a, a hugely important uh, piece of theatre that uh, you know made it made a huge mark uh, on uh, the way that we do Shakespeare, um, and yeah, John Kane. John Kane was a 
a key part of it. He's part of theatre history uh, and also wrote loads of episodes of Terry and June. Isn't that brilliant? I was Puck in the most important Shakespeare production of the 20th century and I wrote most of Terry and June and the Phoenix in the Carpet. Uh, I, I love that, that you can have that kind of career. But but what a great actor he is. Um, uh, and I and I think he's wonderful in this. Um, and and it's I know a lot of people don't like Pertwee for his awful stuff like this bit where he sort of completely ignores Sarah uh, and she goes, no, come on, I'm trying to tell you this thing. And, and actually, but you could almost say it's it's deliberate, isn't it? Because the whole thing about this story is that Pertwee is punished for his foibles and you can't you can't be punished for foibles you don't have. So a lot of things we kind of say we don't like about Pertwee. Are, are, are kind of de- deliberately there and they are sort of oddly likable in a way because he's such a big imposing imposing figure he's because he's such a an effortlessly sort of large personality without being a sort of showy offy one i know he wears oh pat gorman alert by the way and pat gorman doing some good acting he's credited as soldier i think he should be credited as mechanic but that's a whole different story um uh but nice to see Pat there as, as again, somebody, you know, gathered for the Pertwee valedictory shindig, you know, and, and another uh, regular face from the era popping up to do his bit. Um, I mean, I don't think of Pertwee as being a show off because it fits him like a glove. There are some people who wear leather jackets. I'm, I'm not going to paraphrase Larry Turner. And, but, you know, she does say, isn't it, that Jimi Hendrix and John Pertwee can get away with those outfits and not really anybody else. Um, but it's true. In other hands, those outfits and that presence of Pertwee would look too try-hard, would look a bit self-consciously wacky. It fits. It all fits Pertwee like a glove. Um as does that sort of slightly testy patronising thing that he does, and yet, I, I, I think he kind of gets away with it. I don't know. Why. Oh, I also like the way, by the way, that John Durth um, looked for his unit pass when Pat Gorman asked him for him. He did it really sort of naturally, going, "Oh yeah, I've got got it here somewhere," and then zapped him. I thought it was you know got over the, the slightly annoying stuff that you have to do of you know somebody breaking into a top secret establishment in the universe i i thought it i thought it it really sold that and made it, it it rather rather convincing because of the very naturalistic way that he 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 did it and had that it's probably not how you would exchange you know not not how somebody in a top secret military establishment would greet somebody just wandering around um but i i bought that whole interaction i th- i think that was very nicely done um I like Sarah's outfit. I love Sarah's outfit later. I love the red and white striped thing. But I like her outfit here. She isn't she, I love the joy that she has in everything. Um, she's so good. She's so good on every level. Uh, and so beautiful. Um, I, and I, I actually rather like Lupton's tweed jacket. Is he the only Doctor Who villain in I've got a tweed jacket. Um that was given to me it was somebody's granddad's i'm the sort of person that if your granddad dies and he's got a jacket instead of throwing it away or giving it to oxfam you offer it you go i think toby might like that so i i most most of my clothes throughout my life have been inherited because i've never really had much money and I, 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 people have always taken pity on my wardrobe but also known that i'll probably accept things that most other people wouldn't i don't care um 
he's pointing the gun quite well, Nicholas Courtney. There, he's, he always had that thing, didn't he, of saying he didn't really like firing a gun. But uh, he's he's done that all right. Although I I would argue that you know the command to stop him being met with a all right, well I'll start shooting at him then. But uh, that's a wonderfully John Pertwee Doctor Who thing. Said, stop shooting, you'll hit the car. And the Hoomobile looks great. And I love the way that when they drive off, John Pertwee stands on the side of Bessie. I only John Pertwee it, it could. That just looks a million dollars to me. That is Doctor Who to me, but it's John Pertwee's Doctor Who. He looks so... He Isn't he such an elegant man of action? He really is. And as I say, it doesn't seem too try-hard. There's nothing self-conscious about it. He absolutely inhabits that elegant, dandy man of action. And that's quite, that's quite a combination of words to, 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 to be the, the sort of human manifestation of. Uh, and I love the way that the Hoomobile goes at such a lick. I remember being, you know, extremely impressed uh, at the speed at which it was going. And Bessie is a joy, isn't she? I love Bessie. Um, I love the fact that Bessie is called Bessie. Um, and here we've got Pertwee with his helicopter. And do you know what? Uh, if if Pertwee loves his gadgets, which he does, I think giving over half an episode to a whacking great chase with all these different things is the is the least you can give him and as i say why does i don't think everything has to be plot now there are some doctor who stories where you go well this you know every not a line of this script is wasted it's rigorous and fastidious and blah, blah, blah. but i think it's also you know james bond has loads of car chases and action sequences now doctor who could never do anything like that because you know every shot is a million dollars like that in a james bond film um i mean they're ingeniously done aren't they but you know this is this is the this is the best you can do uh you know on a children's tea time family tv show budget and uh, in in that regard this is kind of a million dollars we've got this brilliantly designed space car going at quite a lick um uh, and and doctor who in a in in a mini helicopter and now we've got a comedy policeman chubby oats uh who was a Quite a filthy comedian, uh, I believe, very much of the old school. I probably wouldn't have really enjoyed much of what Chubby Oats did as a comic, but I'm, I'm, perf- but I, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, I'm, I don't have a really filthy sense of humour, but um, I, I, you know, anyone that that uh, gets up on stage and does what they do, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not as easy as it looks, and he was highly regarded. Uh, but by a lot of the old school, I know that the last photograph of him alive, uh, June Whitfield and Roy Hudd are both guffawing because he'd done a show. He'd done a show in the daytime, I think. Uh, and then I, did he die on a park bench or did I make that up? I'm sure somebody, um, uh, uh, uh you know, he, 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 he had a heart attack. I think he was, he was only 63. I thought he was, I thought he was much older than that. Um, uh, but he was, yeah, he was a stand-up comic. Uh, and the last picture is of June Whitfield and Roy Hudd guffawing. And then he went off and I think had a few drinks and uh, I think, you know, keeled over on a park bench and was taken to hospital and died. Um, but having, you know, hopefully with the laughter still ringing in his ears and he did loads of... But he, he, he was also a flatmate of Kelvin McKenzie and taught him to type. So much as I admire Chubby's contribution to the world of comedy, I wish he hadn't taught Kelvin McKenzie to type because I think the world might have been a better place. Uh, <laughs> for, for listeners abroad, Kelvin McKenzie was the editor-in-chief of the Sun newspaper 
uh, at the time it was at its most egregious and is now quite a beastly and I would say slightly hypocritical um, public commentator. Anyway, let's not get into that. Chubby Oates, we, we all have our... Ch Chubby Oates represents much... He's a terrible actor as well, but I think it kind of... I don't think it would work quite as well if he wasn't. He's definitely giving the sort of performance that a sort of day player of that time in sort of various sort of low budget movies or the odd the odd episode of this and that m might give where there's a slight f flatness behind the the the, the 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 it's sort of slightly heightened and yet slightly flat uh, it, you know it doesn't it doesn't have any grandiosity about it um but yet it kind of it kind of works. It kind of adds to the charm. And I'm not one of those people who's a oh, it's so bad, it's good. Because I, I think that's a, I, I think that's a little bit self-regarding sometimes. Um, you know, I like stuff that's good because it's good. I don't like, I, I, I don't get any joy in patronising something. Uh, uh, but, uh, but, but I'll, I'll allow the sort of reverse alcohol and the way that he cocks his hat is, is pure. Um, uh, day player, look beautiful, well done, chubby. <laughs> oh, I found him thoroughly entertaining this time around. Good for you, chubby. And the fact he's called Chubby Oats as well. You wouldn't get an actor called Chubby Oats these days. <laughs> God bless you, chubby. Um, I hope he's having fun in the great. I'm, I'm, I don't feel very well. <laughs> well. <laughs> Well, that's odd because I've always sort of thought that was a bit that didn't quite work because it wasn't quite good enough. <laughs> I'm thoroughly entertained by Chubby Oats this time round. Uh, but also I was, oh God, my skin crawled at the CSO that rendered the Hoomobile. Again, I think we're in slightly remastered for uh, DVD territory here. I think the, uh, the, the, the tinkerers of the... Uh, of, of the celluloid it's not celluloid is it whatever it is this the thing that the 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 vt warlocks um have, have got their erasers out and perhaps uh uh made the the fringing slightly less egregious um you can't do that with the haircuts though can you sweethearts um but but also that it's it's obviously because of the lighting i think and the fact that it's on on video when it's cso'd uh you know that's automatically a clash video laid onto film is is oil and water really um but also it's you know the lighting means it looks a slightly different color too um he's got a very curious shambling gait hasn't he uh, I, th I think i started to talk about that um I, you know i i think he's uh, he's he's not i don't think he's the healthiest of men uh, at this stage dearth and uh, you know, when you look at when you look at actors in things now, where every sod goes to the gym, and uh, you, you know you can't even play a middle-aged dad without looking like you, you know, you go five times a week lifting weights and being on the keto diet, which I'm, I've talked about that before. I, I you know, but but oh, he's just fallen over and they've kept it in. But you know, he 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 is the other end of the scale. Where I mean, I. I, I I don't think he could outrun a sloth really because he's 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 not he's not what you'd call the most athletic uh, of uh, 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 of quarries. <laughs> now this is Michael Pinder, who's an actor that you might go. I've never seen him in anything before because he's not an actor. It's Terry Walsh, uh, in an excellent jumper. Um, 
of course Terry Walsh is going to fall into something and he's fallen into the water. But Michael Pinder, who's this guy here who's just got zapped, he's not an actor. He's the guy that owned the boat or the hovercraft uh, and he gets a credit and a line and I'm sure the shenanigans going on there because would he have been? I don't think he'd have been a member of Equity. Um, And and I don't think you normally, you you know, can, can we borrow a thing... Uh, yes, so long as I can be in it. I think, you know, most of the time there'd be like, no, no, you're all right. We'll just, you know, pay you the usual BBC usage fee and thank you very much. So, but anyway, Michael Pinder is is the, is the guy who owns the boat or the hovercraft or both, um, but plays Mr. Hopkins, who has one line and then gets zapped. Um, so that's a that's an interesting curio. A, f- a friend of mine has, I think, tracked him down. He's still around, so... We, we, we must ask him. We must have a chat with Michael Pinder, the boatman, who, yes, is never in any other television programmes as an actor because he's not an actor. He's the boat guy. Um, now, this stuff all looks good. And I remember, you know, in the book, I remember the chapters of the book, you know, the ending of each chapter of the book being really, really exciting. And I could sort of work out where the episodes ended. And, and this this chase is such is quite a lengthy section and quite an exciting section. Uh in the book, I know a lot of people sort of go, well, they do all this chase, and then at the end, he just disappears. Um, but actually, it it, it it was like, a, oh, we nearly got him, oh, and then we didn't, rather than just a, well, that was a complete waste of time. So, you know, I think it's, I suppose it depends what, 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 what you feel about this sort of thing I, I have total sympathy with anybody that goes it's a bit into it's nice seeing him so genuinely wet though isn't it and that that feels all real you know Pertwee with the the, the the sort of crystals of water sticking to his sticking to his mane and slightly blurring the camera it, it feels real you know and now I remember this being amazing uh, when I first saw it I couldn't quite believe it one I didn't know that hovercrafts could go on land but but this comedy running over the tramp <laughs> played by Stuart Fell uh he makes a very great tramp, doesn't he? Um, uh, I remember being absolutely flabbergasted when I first saw this. So here it is. And you go, I'm not... Ex- what? Hang on, he's run him over. Um, because I didn't know how hovercrafts worked. But obviously the propellery bit is on, on the top. So, But your your instinct is to go, no, because you'd get you, you'd get either chopped to bits or squashed or something like that. But no, it's called a hovercraft. Idiot. Um, but I remember that being a really shocking moment for me i've gone oh my god um i still think it's rather fun but the, uh, but it, this time it certainly didn't recapture the first time i saw it where it seemed to me like a real bolt and moment out of the blue um uh and so so pert was yeah so now we're going to get to the end of the episode where it's basically been this protracted chase um uh, that 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 comes to nothing but you know that shows that it shows that the spiders can, you know, can materialise. Well, we already know that uh, we can materialise things. They can materialise things, actually. So it's 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 not a it's not a development really. But yeah, I'm I can understand both camps. I can understand the camps that go. Well, that was a fun celebration of all of Pertwee's desire for gadgetry, and also that was really self indulgent and doesn't help the plot one bit. But it's well done. I mean, I think. I think it, it it feels slightly more comfortable watching it now because there's not that that terrible disconnect between the studio and location when the uh, 
when the um, the Hummobile is la- is laid onto the film footage, which I seem to recall looking much worse than that. Um, you know, when it when it was when it was first out there. Well, that's a big debate in in and of itself. You know, should 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 restoration be making stuff look better to the modern eye? Uh, I, I'm a I'm a bit of a purist, you know. I don't like the the changing of the the day for night in the the, the that that jarring shot in the chase. But I, I I'm not sorry. I have to say to see the back of um, the the really poor CSO. So you know we're all hypocrites, aren't we? Well, maybe just I am. Maybe I'm just a hypocrite. In which case, I'm very sorry. Um, uh, but what? Uh, so what do I like most about that? And also, I don't want to blow the fact that uh, <laughs> Annie and I are current. I'm, well, I'm currently in the lead because Annie and I said the same thing for episode one. Um, I mean, it is Sergeant Benton's last episode of the Pertwee era, and he does get a couple of great... He gets a lovely comedy moment, uh, and and, you know, he's the one that warns the doctor about Lupton and and he gets and he gets the sort of Cheshire cat smiling about making the second finest cup of coffee next to Mrs Samuel Pepys <laughs> I don't know why but I love the fact it's Mrs Sam of all the people to, to to be your rival in in the in the caffeinating stakes um I I was actually rather taken by Chubby Oats this time round but I he's not always done it for me to be fair um but and as I say, I'm I'm slightly reluctant to be, you know, is to be patronising of going. Well, the, the fact that he's he's actually not all that brilliant is kind of part of the job. I'm always reluctant to go down that path because I'm not a you know I'm not a talking head show where they go. Well, it was so bad, it was good because I I don't believe that. I believe that Doctor Who was good because it was good. Um, but that that has sort of added to it the the charm of that moment. Oh, and the person he was speaking to at the other end of the radio was Barry Letts. That was Barry Letts's voice. So we have Barry Letts writing, directing, producing and acting in an episode of Doctor Who. And it's episode two of Planet of the Spiders. And I love you, Barry Letts. Um, I mean, I'm sure we will be discussing him at length. I mean, it's not much of a discussion, is it? It's just me rabbiting on. But you know what I mean? Uh, As this story progresses, because his presence looms large and rightly so. He's one of the great figures of Doctor Who, Barry Letts. And... uh, and what a wonderful man he was. Um, I was very, very privileged to have uh, been in his orbit. Uh, what a, yeah, what a great man. What a decent man. Um, so what is my favourite thing? I think it has to be the fact. And I've got a soft spot for Sergeant Benton. And I know John Levine is a divisive figure. Uh, and I know... John uh, has occasionally done and said things that make you go, John, what are you doing? But he's a complicated fellow. Uh, his heart is in the right place. Um, but but some, sometimes his brain takes him to, to, to other ones. Um, but I love, but you know, I'm, uh i'm i you know i'm very fond of him um and i uh, and but irrespective of that i love 
Sergeant Benton. I think Sergeant Benton consistently provides the moments of magic and even the sort of flaggiest, uh, you know, middle episode of a, of a, of a slightly meandering uh, Pertwee episode, Benton is on hand to provide just that little moment of magic, that little moment of charm, uh, that little moment that only John Levine can do. So I think the fact that it's Benton's last episode of the Pertwee era, of which he has been such a key part, and the fact that within that episode he gets a comedy moment, gets a little bit of action, and he gets to make the second best cup of coffee. Don't you love that? The second best cup of coffee in the universe. Uh, That is going to be my moment for episode two. That's a very personal one. I think I might be losing out now. I think Annie might well like the Mini Moke or the Hoomobile. The Hoomobile is great. Yeah, I used to think it was called the Wombile. I'd never, I'd see it written down. I thought it was called the Wombile until one day. But I used to think W.H. Smith was called Wursmuth. And I knew there was a shop called W.H. Smith. I just thought I'd never seen it. I think I've said this in a podcast. And I remember saying, oh, I don't know how to pronounce that. Wismuth. Wismuth. What's a funny name for a shop? I remember once visiting my nan and walking down Newbury High Street. And it suddenly struck me. Oh, it's W.H. Smith. Um, and it's same with the Wombile. I was like, what? what's the Doctor Who's car's called the Wombile? And then, and then, yeah. oh no, it's Who Mobile. It's the Who Mobile. I think I might have even had to have heard it out loud. Because, I, yeah, for ages I thought it was called the Wombile. Um, and I'm impressed with how speedily it goes. Uh, you know, it is a pleasant surprise because I think we're quite often used to vehicles in Doctor Who that can look quite impressive and then go at a snail's pace or have to look speeded up, you know, a la Bessie in the Time Monster, which looks a bit naff and, and a bit of a cheat. It, you know, it actually genuinely looked like it was it was, you know, pounding along there. Uh, and I do like the moment where the hovercraft runs over the tramp just because that was such a shock when I first saw it. Uh, and I, I like the way a hovercrafts move. They look pretty cool, hovercrafts, don't they? But um, so Annie might choose any of those things. And that, so I mentioned them just so I could feel sorry for myself for being so near and yet so far. But I'm sticking with Sergeant Benton's cup of coffee. So part two, what do we have there? Well, it has to be the chase. <laughs> It has to be the chase. What can you not do? Something that basically takes almost half the episode and was probably entirely written in for John Pertwee's fun and benefit. So they start off with um, uh, Lupton, being, uh, the, the baddie, driving Bessie away. And uh, then, of course, it, it goes, oh, good heavens, it, it, the doctor goes up on a gyrocopter and then uh, then, then he takes to the skies in the Hoomobile with a bit of aid of uh, CSO or chroma key, as we call it now. And then, of course, uh, Lupton goes to a hovercraft. And so the doctor goes on to a speedboat and it's literally a chase through land, sea and air, which culminates with Lupton disappearing. Where's he gone? Oh, and that's the cliffhanger. So that's uh, that's episode two. Uh, yeah, I mean, I should have I should have kept it simple, shouldn't I? It's a big old chase. It's a celebration of Pertwee's love of gadgets uh, and it's pretty well done. Um, and if you're of a mind not to like Planet of the Spiders, you can point to the chase as a shortcoming. Um, and I'm sure I've done that in the past. But actually, watching it now in the zone that I'm in now and with the mindset I'm in now, I found that perfectly good fun. I mean, obviously, it's a slightly different experience because I'm 
chuntering all the way through it. Um, but it's it worked for me. Um, but I think I couldn't have been all conscience because of my vacillating uh, relationship with this story uh and the fact that you know i've 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 felt pretty uncharitable towards it in the past i think it would be a it would be dishonest of me to to pick one of the things that i've i've been uncharitable about even only mentally you know only to myself uh and suddenly go oh yeah well it's got to be the chase because i i think previously i've probably gone on that blooming chase uh which actually i i thought worked worked really really nicely gyrocopter is the gyrocopter the same as a mini moak don't write in i don't care um where, where have i got mini moak from but it's definitely a gyrocopter um and i i'm sure i noticed when when lupton took off i'm sure in the modern series they'd have made him swerve towards them and you'd have had the sort of he nearly chops their heads off with the thing but you know that would have been really dangerous and hard to do in 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 the way that the program was made then but you'd you'd probably add that slight level of jeopardy to that moment now because you can you can actually pull that stuff off a, you know a lot quicker and you know in, in more controlled environments and blah you know you might do a cutaway in the studio or something like that and seamlessly meld it but anyway i just noticed that as a as an option that you would do to to add to the drama now um i don't mind choosing sergeant menton's cup of coffee because i i love it and i love him um, and I think it was a more honest choice for me, even though, of course, I completely, uh, I completely understand and sympathise, and you know, can see perfectly why Annie has chosen the chase, which is the standout moment of the episode, really. Um, so, in terms of playing the game, I've just been really stupid. I've, I've been, <laughs> I've been slightly slow and half-witted, um, but I've kept my sense of humour. And, and and that is appropriate in, in but that that I did those things and chose Sergeant Benton because uh, that's that's him in a nutshell. So that's me signing off on behalf of uh, Sergeant Benton in uh, the Pertwee era. Uh, I'm I'm proud to have, have have chosen him for episode two because he was such an important part of the era, and and I do really like what he does. Uh, and he, a bit like Chubby, you know, he's he's not the best actor, John Levine. But as Benton, I think he is perfect. I think the fact that he is who he is and the fact that the performance has the slight limitations that it has actually informs the character in a way. Um, and, and that there's an element of Benton and John Levine, of somebody you know who's slightly in order maybe feeling slightly out of their depth trying their very hardest uh and that's something that i think we always admire i think it's quite a british british thing of, of sort of somebody perhaps not not having all of the 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 equipment to do this thing but 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 giving it a damn good try anyway and you you emerge i think with a with a bit of you know with your with your honor intact and uh and, and a bit of admiration for for, for, for you know for doing that doing that in a sort of plucky and likable way so that's that's why i like that's why i like sergeant benton and again i hope that doesn't feel too patronizing because i don't i don't like that thing you go yeah i like it because it's a bit naff it's it's not that at all it's more that i i like it because it represents somebody you know really giving it giving it their all um and uh you know like doctor who uh you know, not necessarily having 
all the things to to, to carry off the ambition of of what the, the the script is asking it to do, but having a go anyway and using a bit of invention and a bit of charm and some bloody hard work to 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 make it as good as it can possibly be. And I think that's what John Levine does with his performance as well. So I, to me, John Levine and Sergeant Benton are an utter encapsulation of 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 the charm and the humour and the likability of of Doctor Who. And and I think it is charming and funny and likable, uh, and uh, uh, and so that's why I chose it for that. But now, because I know you're creeping up on me, just before you get to me, I'm going to disappear, and you'll find that my seat is empty. And I'm no longer here. Well, thanks ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke. My special guest this time around is BAFTA Award-nominated Hollyoaks actress Annie Wallace, who can be found on Twitter at Annie Wallace. I'm grateful to Annie, of course, and to the many patrons who make these podcasts possible. And they include... Reese Williams, Chris Williams, Rich Wiggins, Kevin West, Peter Ware, Gavin Ware, Alistair Wallace, Jeff Walker, Gary Wales, Lee Wakerley, John Turner, Fanman Sang, Sidney Truitt, Jason Thompson, Dr. Gary Thomas, Paul Taylor Greaves, Adam Stone, Chris Stokes, David Spofford, David Spencer, Richard Smith, Trevor Smith, Brian Sinclair, Paul Shields, John Sheehan, Frank Shales, Keith Say, Edward Salt, Samuel, Tom Selinsky, Gavin Rymill, and John Rumfit. The music is by Dave Gates and the podcast artwork by Dylan Patterson. Would you like to be added to that list of names? Well, that's one of the bonuses of being a Patreon. They've all gone to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke and committed to pay for as little as £3 a month to get bonus releases, exclusive material, and, yeah, mentioned in the credits. You can also get a 10% discount if you sign up for a year in advance. Monthly commitment is a bit of an ask, isn't it? Um, you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke, which is the uh, internet equivalent of chucking a few pennies into the hat of a busker, uh, should you feel so inclined. It means you don't always have to do it when you hear their music, but sometimes you might think, oh, my pockets are a bit heavy. Let's relieve them of some of the burden and help that passing minstrel. don't know if I said, but uh, he was called Arthur, really, Chubby Oates. He wasn't, he wasn't born Chubby. Well, he might have been born Chubby, and that's why he was then named Chubby. But he was, he was christened Arthur. It was Arthur Oates, but Chubby Oates uh, was, (laughs) no, Arthur Oates was Chubby Oates' name, but uh, I think everyone knew him as Chubby. Um, Yeah, is is that enough for a post-credit sequence? I think it is. I'm quite busy. Um, Well, I'm sound quite busy the other half is away and i feel like i should be up to no good do you know what i mean you sort of think it seems a waste of this time if i don't at least leave the ob cup lying around and perhaps walk around eating cornflakes in my pants i mean i don't particularly fancy doing any of those things but i feel like it's a waste of an opportunity if i don't so um i might go and put my shoes somewhere bad (laughs) just just for fun um (laughs) all right Um, bye.